Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Hi. And our special guest all the way from Michigan, Greg DeLiso. Hey. I uh, I started Smug Film with Greg back in 2013. Is it 12 or 13? I think it's 13, right? Yeah, it's, January. It's 15 now. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, we're in 2015. Yeah. The year of Back to the Future. Two. Yes. Yeah, they don't. Do they even reference the future in? in well, they first um, one? at the end they go to the future. Well, yeah, I mean, but do they do they, do they reference the number twenty fifteen? It's a good question. I don't think that would be a good trivia well, question. No, wait a second. No, wait. Yeah, because doesn't Doc when he first uh, gets to the car? When he first shows in the car. He says, um, "Yeah, he's gonna go to twenty fifteen first, and then." Doesn't it get, then he's playing around with the thing and he resets it. To right. 55. That's what sends Marty back. He was originally going to go 30 years in the future and he goes, remember he goes nice round number. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, they do. That ate up some uh, precious podcast time. Yeah, man. That was like a minute. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. Yep. Um. So yeah, Greg, why did we even start Smug Film? Let's try and explain that real quick. We, uh, well, we were getting like kind of hits on our Facebook stuff. Yeah. Um, for me personally, what happened was I saw the movie Looper in the theater and I surprised to my great surprise, I really liked it because I really have not liked anything by the Ryan Johnson dude. Um, and I was really surprised. Did Breaking Bad? Is, did he do Breaking Bad? Yeah, I did a bunch of episodes. Yeah, I never got into Breaking Bad either though. So I don't know. Um, but no, uh, and, um, I liked it a lot and I wrote a big thing on Facebook about it and, you know, uh, uh, just got a bunch of, uh, comments and likes and stuff and, um, I was just, yeah, just kind of thinking, you know, I kind of always wanted to like write about movies and whatnot, but, um, I was kind of always too bashful because I was like, I don't have anywhere to put it. No one's going to care. No one's going to read it. And then, um, I kind of was like, dude, I should actually try to do like a blog or something. And then I asked you about it. Yeah. We were having like the same realization at the same time where it was like, we're getting all this attention on stuff. We would just crap out on Facebook and people would be commenting for like a hundred, you know, comments or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, well, what the fuck is stopping us from being fucking critics? Like really like what the barrier is us setting up a WordPress. And that's, I guess how it sort of began this yeah. whole smug film thing. That is. Yeah. Any asshole can be a critic now. That's yeah. what makes all the other people mad. So why not us who are not assholes? You well, know? I mean, I mean, we're yourself. assholes in moderation. Yeah. I think I'm like, well, I think my stuff is pretty asshole though. Yeah, yours is probably the most asshole of yeah. any of us, I would say. I, it's like, even if I like something, I still find a way to be like, this other thing sucks, though. Yeah. Like, it's pretty much like... Uh, <laughs> well, that was a complaint that uh, John Amico used to always make when, like, he would be reading a piece of yours. I forget what it was, but, like, you were reading someone that oh, you, like... There's one where I was so on board. You agreed with it so much. one offhand, like, fuck you to oh, another sweet. movie. Yeah, it was, was a like, fuck you to oh, Hemingway. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, it was Hemingway. I was like, come on. Hemingway? I don't even... I, now I don't even remember what that would be. Do we remember yeah. what it is? Let's talk about whatever it was. Uh, I, oh, I don't. I don't remember. But it was just this like one line. I was like, come on, that's man. Funny. I was dead on board. Well, I, that's funny. I don't even know what it could be. I don't even remember writing any. I mean, like, yeah, that's the thing. I just throw in those things just to be like a dick. I mean, not that. And I, okay, I should I should say not that I don't believe them somewhere, but I also as much as I believe them somewhere, I also like don't care. It's just funnier to be like, yeah, fuck Hemingway. I, I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure it was like something. I guess your most controversial piece on the site was the idea of what a movie is, which mm-hmm. got probably the most traction of anything we've ever thrown up there. And John D'Amico's rebuttal to it, which became kind of like a twofer, mm-hmm. like people were passing those around left and right. 
I mean, basically the crux of what you were saying, not to put words in your mouth, was most movies aren't very good. Uh, that could be a bottom line. You know, I would say, first of all, I would actually say that to John's credit, the reason that my post blew up at all is because he did his rebuttal and I think people got really into the rebuttal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool. I mean, I'm glad about that. I, I would say, um, no, I, to, 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 to really sort of, uh, give a summary of what I think I was trying to do with that essay is, um, the, the idea of what like a movie is can change with the times and it will, and it does in the sense that, you know, when they first started making movies, um, you know, the, a movie only could be as much as what it, they had figured out yet. So it's like, if they didn't have sound, if they had, the, if it was black, white, if it was, if it was, if it was these set of things to that culture, that's what a movie is. And then over time it changes. And so now, you know, I grew up in, I was born in 86. I grew up in uh, the nineties. And, and so to me, the idea of a movie, it feels a certain way. It looks a certain way. It acts as, it just has a certain tone walk and talk it just it, this is what a movie is and what i've the, the older i get and the more movies that i watch the just the, the the less and less i find um very many movies that seem to align with uh that idea and i think what i was trying to do in the essay is sort of combine the personal idea of what a movie is as me an individual um and say that there's probably only like a hundred ever that that are to me really full, that fit that, your that fit right yeah yeah your view um, of that which if you were you know a guy coming about when movies were just started you yeah, know, your probably, idea of movies would be that slim i probably wouldn't even like as, movies at all if it was just like the train coming in the station and the whatever else you know what i'm saying right like what it, I'm, yeah what i mean is like if you if you were really into the train coming in the oh, station shit, i was like a train then there's all this other shit just starts creeping up mm-hmm. you know talkies and yeah yeah even, i might be like even I buster might be keaton like, Dude, maybe is, yeah 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 exactly like um, that would be his narrow view of what a movie is sure and it would probably be the same amount of movies as yours is. Yeah. So what what are the movies that uh, that are the movies for you? Well, to me, um, and I guess I should clarify all this stuff. Like the the to to go back just a split second here a little bit. The the sort of the point in the essay that I was trying to do go with was the combina- combination of that personal thing of what a movie is, and then also sort of explain that um, the changes in over time you know, dictate that. And I, that, that was that little section where I used the Terminator series to sort of say like, which okay, I think was a great example, actually. Yeah. Like it's just this idea that the first one, you know, it, it feels like the movies of its time. Here's why, here's how the, the second one feels like movies of its time and so on and so on. And, um, you know, to me, if I look at that series, the one of them that feels the most like a movie is Terminator two. Now they're all movies. I mean, they all are movies. I mean, it, that's, it's, I'm not trying, when I say it feels like a movie, I'm not trying to like say that anything that doesn't feel the way, like, like, isn't a movie. It's just like, to me, my fucking take on it. Yeah. When you close your eyes and yeah. you imagine movie. Um, so to me, I mean, the movies that are movies, I don't know the, t- the, 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 I mean, back to the future, Indiana Jones, Ghostbusters, signs, American movie. I mean, those are my favorites. Yeah. You know, and those are, those are the most movie movies to me, I guess. Um, feel the dreams, I guess to me, I'm happiest watching a movie when I feel like, um, you know, all these things are happening at once. When I feel like the director is, you know, trying to uh, tell a story by way of exploring the possibilities of the art form itself. And so what I mean by that is like, if you look at something like um, Back to the Future, you know, the possibilities of the art form make it so that you can have a DeLorean be a fucking time machine and make that up and make it 
go back in time and have a streak of fire and all this like abstract stuff that you made up out of thin air that doesn't have any basis in like reality, but you can actually use the tools of this art form to make it feel real. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in people that try to explore that to the greatest degree, but that try to explore it in the most um, invisible and like fun and dramatic and arresting way possible. And I just feel like there's so much to juggle in your head at once. There's so much to, there's so many moving parts in a movie. It's such a gigantic art form that it's like, the, the older I get, the less surprised I get that there's only like 12 of them that I think are like really perfect. Mm. There's like a hundred that are good because it just seems so hard to make a good one. John, what's, what's your idea of what a movie is? I, I mean, fundamentally disagree with that as we know. What's beautiful to me about movies is we will know more about human beings from 1896 on than we'll ever know about the entire stretch of human history before that because of movies, which are this perfect communication vessel. There's this Ebert quote about how a camera is essentially an empathy machine. And what a camera does at its best is it points you into somebody else's life and into their head and lets you understand how someone else lives and breathes. So the idea that a movie would have to kind of bend itself to my experience, I kind of bristle from. I'm in the middle of a project now where I'm trying to watch one movie from every country. And it's harder than you'd think because a lot of countries disappear and turn into other countries. Yeah, you were you were talking to me about, uh, was it Belize, that there's only one Yeah, only film? one film from Belize called... Um, Has it ever been shot there? Yeah. It's, it's called X to Buy... Uh, X to buy. Yeah. Some, and there's a subtitle. I can't remember, but it's like a, it's a silly little monster movie that they shot in Belize in 2012. And, um, it's really fun to me because all the countries where there's only one movie ever shot there, it's usually like a very grim exploration of like why their country is such a wreck. Mm. But Belize, they just kind of ran for it and made this fun little Creole monster movie. And, um, there's all these little moments in it where, they break the rules because they're first timers and they sort of the middle stretch of the movie is almost like you're you're hiking in Belize with a with a tour guide. And he's just like showing you the countryside. Mm. And it's just this fun, beautiful little thing that it's it's not as impeccably crafted as, say, a Hitchcock or a Spielberg. But it's it's just a wonderful thing to have access to. Yeah, And there's a time capsule aspect to it that's. uh it's it's almost like a, it's almost like a pen pal. I mean, movies today right. are almost like pen pals. It's it's about transferring something. And what's amazing to me is when I watch an older movie like, say, uh, A Woman of Paris, which is Charlie Chaplin's only dramatic film from 1923. And there's this breakup scene in the middle of it, and um, Adolf Manjou he's fighting with this woman, and uh, he had given her a piece of jewelry earlier. And she takes the jewelry and just throws it out the window into the street. And they cut back to Adolf Manju and he gets real angry for a second. And then he just starts laughing. And then he starts yelling at her again. And it's this very tiny little beat. But it's really amazing to see that almost 100 years ago, somebody would have this same idiosyncratic, odd response and this non-intuitive response right. to something that you would today. And I don't like the idea of movies aging out like that. But I guess my response is like, at a certain point, it doesn't sound like you're talking about an art form anymore. You sound more like an archaeologist. And I guess my thing is like, I mean, I'm sure that sort of little interaction uh, where a thing got thrown out a window or whatever, like that could have happened in Egypt in like the, you know, fucking whatever, zero BC year. But it's just like, um, 
I guess I don't understand the uh, like what's relevant or interesting um, more. For, I mean, how do I say this? I, I can understand sort of what's interesting about it to sort of like I, like when you said starting in 1896, you know, we have this sort of amazing um, recorded history of humans that sort of like starts at that time. That's very interesting. But it does like I, I mean, from an artistic standpoint, though, like that's neat to like hear about it. But like, what do you get out of it when you watch that? Stuff? Well, I mean, the, I rest mean on, of on that artistic movie, the rest of that movie, Woman of Paris, is just a great romantic drama. But it's it's the same thing you would get out of seeing a moment in a film now where you feel like the wall of art broke down and you're in someone's life. I mean, it's the same thing you'd see like. But that's not for artistic. those moments. There's mo- those moments in, say, Jaws where like you feel like you're in with them yeah but and you that's, feel like you're you're living with them i i get what you're saying well but what i'm saying is that like in jaws that moment is like intentional but it's in the, intentional but in the chaplain thing of it's not. it absolutely is it's no, dude chaplin was probably the greatest director of actors who ever lived it's it's this moment where it's a, a classic reversal which is like one of the first things they teach you as a key to screenplays is you have to reverse expectations and it's the same thing someone would do in any movie now it's this beautiful beat of of idiosyncrasy and that i think art really needs to be built on personal idiosyncrasy even if you go all the way back to the iliad the best parts of that are just these little like these little moments of just warmth or darkness where you don't expect them to me that's art it's this moment in anything where you feel like you're sharing a life but you can get a created the, universe well, let me ask you this question though do you get do you like apply that to moments uh, like in life I don't apply anything really about art to life, but I apply it to moments in new movies. Like I'd say some of the best scenes I saw this year were, um, for example, in, in Calvary where there's, um, there's a scene where somebody tells Brendan Gleeson this really intense story and you're waiting for him to have like this intense breakdown reaction. And he just looks at the guy and says, what the fuck did you tell me that for? And it's this small like comic beat, but it's this beat where you feel like, a person was just built before you. Mm. Somebody who did something human and something different from the way kind of a, a formula of a story is drawn. Well, that's kind of like the thing they say about great acting, where, where great acting is you not going, oh, that guy's really acting. That's awesome. But you just being so in it that you don't even think about a person acting on screen. Like, I think it was Mamet who said, like, we give awards to people that we think like, oh, isn't he so so great in this movie? Isn't he awesome? But if you're thinking that, you're already outside of it because you're you're outside of experiencing the character like it's yeah. an actual living. That's why I thought the best thing. actor in Lincoln was Jared Harris as Grant. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a second. Well, Jared does. Harris is tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Just but couldn't you just be saying that about it after you've had the experience of watching the actor be awesome? Like, I mean, saying that he's awesome is just describing how good he is. But if you're if like, you're sitting in the theater and you're looking at the screen and you're like, man, this guy's really acting the shit out of it. But you I mean, might dude, be I impressed never, by the acting, but, but never, you're but taken I've, out I've of it. I've never in my life been like, dude, Josh Baskin is like real. Like, I've never been like, that's a that's he's real. Right. Like, but I'm it's tricked. the it's the like it's like but but I all but I but when I'm watching big like. If I have the thought, like, dude, Tom Hanks is fucking awesome. Like, I not it doesn't take me out of the experience. It like, doesn't I'm, take you out of enjoyment. But if but if the goal it doesn't of take acting me out of the whole experience at all, I mean, I think you'd have to be really weird to be like, dude, it's like you'd have to think it's like reality somehow or something. No, it's isn't not that you think it's reality. That it's that you're not to, thinking about the fact that it's a movie. Isn't the whole point that you're supposed to be part of a coherent? 
I mean, for regular narrative cinema. You're supposed to be part of a coherent alternative to reality. Isn't the idea of art is it's supposed to sharpen and sort of tweak the edges of a reality to make it more sensible and more understandable? I mean, is the concept of art is you're supposed to come out of it and the real world is supposed to just kind of have a little of that haze pushed off of it because you you saw a version of it where things just added up. Yeah, it becomes a part of your own experience. You know, like the movies that I've seen, there are things in there that it's as though I've lived them in some capacity because they're as vivid and real to me as things in my life that I remember. Yeah, and that goes back, I mean... I mean, that's true, but I guess I don't really... I mean, yeah. But, like, what's the, like... That's just what happens, though. And I also, it's just like... it's You say it's supposed to happen. I guess the best way I can relate to that feeling is when um, my friend uh, Dan took me to go see uh, the new um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the, the new Indiana Jones. And I remember, uh, you know, he saw, we were sitting there and he's like, what do you mean, dude? It's Indiana Jones. Like it's, it's more Indiana Jones. Like I'm happy about this. And I'm like, dude, if this isn't, if this movie, the bar of Indiana Jones is like, if it's not like a fucking like, life shattering like transcendent experience for me like the movie sucks like it fucking failed because indiana jones is like the best character ever fucking created on screen so it's like you know with the bar that high you gotta you gotta like deliver on that it's gotta be that much um and that's the haze that you're talking about like that's the that's the fucking feeling of like dude i just watched Rare's Lost Ark. I'm sitting here floored. Like, I want to watch the whole credits. I want to just, like, soak this in. I want this to be the rest of my life. But, like, I would, I could still watch Indiana Jones and be like, dude, Harrison Ford is awesome. Like, during the experience. Like, I guess I don't really see. But that's, I th- feel like that's more on repeat viewings. No way, dude. No. When you, when you when first you saw. Kid, yeah. When you first saw it, he was real. Indiana yeah. Jones is. But, his- but, but that's the thing. He was real, but you weren't, like. You knew he wasn't real. Like, it yeah. was, and, and also, no, you know, I feel like we're I guess, getting away from the point a little bit, which isn't so much whether or not you believe someone's real. It's whether or not you believe that you're seeing right. real but, life, but when which you are say, two but, different but I guess things. When you, but when you say, like, the job of movies is to, or the, of art is to, like, uh, you know, do this, the, the edges of reality and whatnot, um, it's like, I don't, I don't know that that's the, I mean, I think that that's just, like, organically what would have to happen if you're trying to make a good movie. And I think most people don't try to do that. They try to like make something else that I don't, that, that's the point of what, um, well, that's the movie is separate. essay. <laughs> well, that's, that's the point of the movie is essay is like, I don't even fucking understand what someone is trying to do when they're like, I want to make the movie fucking Wendy and Lucy. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, you want to, you want me to have to look at the woods for way too long because you think it looks neat. And that means fucking what like nothing it's it's like a giant bankrupt endeavor so when i look at indiana jones it's like okay this guy that made this wanted the craziest fucking shit that would never happen to feel real enough to where i'm like fuck that's fucking awesome that seemed real and fun and cool and i want it to be like in my fucking life that's what's interesting about art and movies to me is when someone actually like starts from that point but anybody that like doesn't i don't even i'm like lost like i'm just like i don't know why you would want to even put that stuff on screen like what are you trying to do and i and i say that by meaning like 
I do know what they're trying to do, but it seems like a really dumb idea to start with. It doesn't it, make any it sense. It seems like your standards for this are arbitrary, though, because you you said something like the 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 first real movie that tried to do that was Jaws. But then what the hell was just to take a random example, Citizen Kane, which has more special effects shots in it than Star Wars, mm-hmm. creates an entirely plausible alternate world out of just these tiny little studio sets mm-hmm. and is constantly moving you through the phases of this. I mean, I'll say this re- larger than life. No, I, I'm, richer on board. Than life I'm on board story. with what you're saying. I'll say this, though. Citizen Kane is a little bit better than the other movies of its time. And it's sort of just unfortunate that it wasn't like allowed to be like a bigger hit and actually flourish like that shit faster. Because what happened was Citizen Kane, for whatever reason, they were like, oh, you're a fucking wonder kid. We're going to do whatever, let you do whatever we want. So they fucking let this 25 year old run amok. And it make the, the, the idea of Citizen Kane being better than other movies that it, of its time makes perfect sense because of true, all that stuff. Um, so the, the thing that sort of what happens later is. 25 years later, everybody's like, oh, dude, like, do you mean like back then, like there was a guy that fucking knew how to like actually make a movie? Like, I didn't know that. That's why Citizen Kane is looked back on as like the best movie, because it was like the first guy that was like, hey, we can use special effects to not look retarded and have a fucking like waterfall with a dumb monster bullshit thing. We can just use them to like invisibly make something look. That's absolutely not true. There's parts of modern times where. Um, I was just about to say Keaton and Chaplin. Is, yeah, Keaton and Chaplin <laughs> were using special effects exactly to do that. I mean, there's yes, a scene fine, in modern yes, times fine, where Chaplin, yes, we've all ice seen all this stuff around we all know on about that, that thing, and, and the Doors thing with Buster Keaton, blah 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 blah. No, the, no, the, no, the, no, no. I'm talking about a matte painting. I'm talking about an. I know, but a, who a cares? I might, the, like, what does that any of that matter? For that exact purpose as Citizen Kane. <laughs> but it's not Kane. as good as Citizen Kane, though. It's not as good that's as a, it. That's meaningless. I mean, I know. what about Stagecoach? That's the point. Where half the, dude, half Stagecoach the is so effects, terrible, dude. Half Come of on. this stuff in Stagecoach went right into Indiana Jones. You can say you don't but, like it, but to mm-hmm. say it's not a movie trying to do the exact same but thing. But it sucks, so who cares? Why, like, why do you care? It's not good. It's just I bad. loved it. I had the but time what, of I my guess life. my thing is this, like, when you watch fucking State... I mean, this is... I can't even believe these merger are coming out. It's 2015. We're all, like, 25 or however old we are. And I'm asking somebody about Stagecoach, the movie from 1939 with... Of, what is it? Fucking... Uh, uh, John Ford and all that junk. I mean, what what could you possibly be getting out of Stagecoach? It's beautiful looking. It's fun as shit. It's super exciting still. The, that jump from the uh, Stagecoach to the horse, special effect that has never been repeated in history. Three guys tried to do it. Three guys broke their legs or their backs trying to do it. That is something that, that's it. But what so is one that? Shot, but why yeah. does that make Buster it good? Buster Keaton climbing up shit, shit falling on him. Harold Lloyd but climbing why does up that, that building. It, why does never them climbing on again. stuff make it because good? Because it's the, it's the exact same just God-glorious spectacle of just seeing some shit that you shouldn't even, your eyes can barely even process because it shouldn't even be real. But then why don't you just go watch like a laser show at a planetarium? I don't, I don't understand. Like it's the same thing as like a fireworks display. I can't believe they made those colors. Like, I, I just, I don't, under, I don't, like, if you're telling me, like, because it's a wrapped in is, this great story, also. No, it's not. Stagecoach is a great story. Yeah, about it's Guy Maupassant. It's, it's a brilliant piece of work. It's one of the great chamber dramas, and it's one of the best directed movies ever. And all the movies you love, they sat down and figured out how, st- I mean, there's entire books written about the dinner scene in Stagecoach and just the framing of it. I mean, that, 
the but I mean, but I guess like my response to that is like unreal. I could write a whole book about like how good the one shot is in the burbs. Yeah, but you're not Spielberg. You're not Spielberg taking that movie apart and then reassembling it to make his. But that's why. But that's why I'm like that's why the burbs is better because someone took apart something that was broken and they remade it into something that wasn't broken. That's the whole point. That's why all those movies in that pocket of time are generally better than a lot of stuff today and before because they actually were like hey we can we were kids we didn't have anything better we saw like hitchcock and we were like dude if you take hitchcock and you fucking suck out all the boring garbage in it that sucks and all the terrible acting and the fucking matte paintings and suck everything out of it that sucks you can make a good movie like that's what those people that's realized. what De Palma did. That's yeah, largely what I mean, De Palma did, but I'll say De Palma did it that. like halfway because, dude, the, his movie. I mean, Dress the Kill is like not the best. But oh, it's I like, love Dress the Kill, but it's like better than like the Hitchcock that came before it. Well, I always, I always like De Palma's versions of Hitchcocky things better than I like Hitchcock, just because yeah. I'm, I'm not big on Hitchcock sure, that sure. much. I'm way more into De Palma's yeah. use of that. But if I wanted to sort of make a metaphor for what you're trying to say. Not again, not to put words in your mouth, but it seems like what you're talking about is, you know, in early video games when it was just like things pinging mm-hmm. around on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were to compare that to film just starting out, mm-hmm. um, there are pieces in that that are relevatory and amazing. Hitchcock and Ford are not film just starting out. Right, right. I'm I'm talking about <laughs> that is a generation. I'm, I'm talking about trains <laughs> and going through stations. Compared to like Pong yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your yeah. golden age of movies is like the equivalent of Super Nintendo and N64, where most people of our age. Yeah. Think it's, that I mean, it's video the same, games got. Dude, it. It, can be some, it can be summarized from the quote from Back to the Future 2 when the fucking little kid is playing the, the, the video game in the 80s diner and he's like, it's like a baby's toy. I mean, that's, that is like all that stuff. That's film for you. Yeah. And, the, and those are the toys that. Spielberg and Lucas and all those dudes played with to make stuff that was like actually real. And so that's why I always, it's like when people are like, dude, did you fucking know that? Like he ripped this, like this was in the searchers already, you know? And it's like, yeah, but dude, I mean, I'm, that's great. Like, but he did it the right way. He made, he took the idea that was being used for something like faulty and was like, dude, that idea is sick. I could transform it and reuse it. I mean, it's a, it goes back to the classic thing. What do they say? The the best, the good artists, um, fucking do their own shit or whatever. And it's Picasso, the, the best artists. things uh, steal. I mean, that's the yeah, idea. Good it's artists like, borrow, great artists steal. That's yeah. Picasso, who's also before your seventies yeah. deadline. Yeah, Picasso sucks. I mean, what did he ever do? Actually, that's Picasso, or not here. Who had Picasso in their house? Who had Picasso? The, in their house? Um, Ellie Aaron did, right? Or am I thinking of Van Gogh? Which one's Picasso? Oh, they'll do with all the shapes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's what, who needs that? Who needs shapes? Yeah. I one thing I like the Picasso is on Saturday Night Live they did a thing where John Lovitz played him and he's like he's like all being a huge asshole and he's just like at a pub and he's like I'm Picasso I'll pay with a drawing and he fucking like draws something on a napkin and he's like I'll pay my tab with this because he's just like rich. <laughs> but um, now you got me missing John Lovitz. Yeah. Oh, I guess what I was gonna say though is look, all three of us in this room are like, you know, movie geeks, movie nerds. Like what I mean is we, we love movies. All we do is watch them. We think about them all the time. We care about them. We want to make them. We do make them, etc. Like I grew up watching Charlie Chaplin. I've seen modern times a million times. Like I will, I, I love movies in any way. And like, there's great scenes in modern times that I like love still like the fuck when he's strapped in that feeding machine 
and they keep like pushing the shit in his mouth and he's trying to like get it. You know, remember, I don't know if you guys know it, but yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, uh, the roller skating scene is, is, is amazing. But, um, I guess where I, where the, 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 it becomes divergent between me and, and John and maybe Cody, I don't, I'm not sure where Cody lies in this, but it's more like this thing of like, I love like, the archaeological view of the cinema where it's like, Oh, it's I, I like, it's cool. These guys were doing this stuff at this time. And here's like how they figured this out and what they were doing. And stuff. it's more just because it's like, I love the totality of the art form. I, I love the idea of the tools and how they did this and what they were doing and stuff. But I, there's, there's like, it's like, there's that there's me being a movie nerd. And then there's also like, I feel, and I feel weird saying this, but it's like just me going back into like, rational human mode where i'm like yeah but i'm not gonna sit here and like watch a thing from 1930 and like pretend that like these little moments that make it like neat or relevant or a thing that they did sort of like makes it like as valuable to me or interesting or good or you know resonate with me as much as something that like i really like which right would, and which would be something that came out probably after 19 instead of watching three hours of seven samurai you would want to yeah. watch the one or two things filtered into sure you know george lucas or yeah or i mean dude i was i'll sit there and watch like a tcm documentary about all that stuff i mean in small doses that stuff is neat and valuable but i think when you, you like them to, as isolated clips yeah and I, but but again that's always looking at them as this like archaeological thing of like here's the artifacts of our movie history but like when you start talking about like what's uh what is what is it that like fucking just punches you in your face and like arrests you as like a piece of art like fuck this is this is the art. This is the kind of art that like I would want to make, or I would, I got inspired by, or I thought was like a real thing. I mean, I don't, nobody really did anything like that until, I don't know, whenever it is the mid seventies, probably. I mean, that's the thing, but that's arbitrary and stupid. And it's not the idea of what a movie is. That's more the idea of what you are. I know. I mean, but what's the difference to the though? future? I think back to the future is fucking garbage. But, but what's pile. the difference it's, though? It's, it's ugly and it's clunky and most of the jokes don't work. And I think it's, it fails to sell its universe, but that doesn't, that's not an apparatus for me me saying the idea of a movie is everything that Back to the Future is not. It's just personally I think Back to the Future is fucking garbage. But I guess like you know, you, it's, it's not a it's not a philosophy. It's but, just But a, a person's taste like automatically dictates like everything I just said. Like if you don't like Back to the Future, it, like whether you choose to intellectualize this any further or not, like your your brain is still putting it in this category with like all the shit that you think sucks. And you're also taking all the stuff that you like and putting it in this other place where those things can be like accessed and understand and sort of like, you know, thought of, uh, I'm trying like in a loop in a way, like, you know, you can understand like, Oh, th this guy here didn't do this thing. Um, you know, the way that I like it, whereas this guy did, et cetera, vice versa. So the idea being that like, when you say like, it's only my idea, but it's like, yeah, no, I know. I'm not saying it's only your idea. I'm saying it's the idea of you. Not the yeah, idea I know, of but a who movie cares? or the but I guess my, my point is like everything movies. that everything that Roger Ebert ever wrote about movies was just him and his thing about movies. Ebert's and him. whole thing though like, was that so he, he made a point of putting himself empathetically into movies. He was he always if you look at his ratings, he always gives well, odd wait, was he doing higher. that? Was he doing that when he turned off that one indie movie nine minutes in and wrote an essay based on his notes I mean, that were just like this is garbage? He was but, but wait, is it, but that's but, my point. But though. Hold on, no, I'm not. I'm not finished here. What 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 I mean by that is you have two types of critics. You have the Ebert kind, and then you have the like who's that fucking um, who's that fucking hack 
Ben Lyons? Yeah, Lyons. And and uh, one of them... Whenever anyone says yeah, movie hack, that's the that, answer to that Ebert, question. Ebert took movies on the terms that they were presented to him and the terms that they... What but it so seems I, like what they intended to but do. But so does everybody and, and else. Who they, but no, Lyons looks for movies like like a job interview. You know, for him, films are about, you know... You got like 10 minutes, impress me or get the fuck out of here, which is fine. It's a way to view a movie. But I don't, but it's not like a that way, but I it's don't, not an apparatus. For, I know, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't view movies like that lion guy one bit. I view them, I guess, how, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what that matters either way, but I don't, I wouldn't view a movie the way that that lion dude does. I mean, at all. I don't, but I guess I don't really see any evidence for that. How, why, I guess my question to you is like, how is it that I do that? Because you're looking for movies that fit your um, niche of things that were comfort food to you in childhood. No, I'm looking for movies that like, are good. Which is fine. But that doesn't make but any again, sense because... It's not but wait a second. No, that doesn't make any sense either because some of my favorite movies are movies that I didn't discover until like two years ago. So I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, I guess my thing is, is like... You just watch a movie. It means is it, it good or it's, bad? It's essentially no. the, yes. the, the film version of just reading young adult books. But why? I, I, you're not saying why. Like, I guess this is my thing. I'm, I, let me try to explain it further. Like, if I, I sit down and I watch a movie, is it good or is it bad? Yes or no? Like, period. Like, there's, noth- there's nothing else there's you are presenting that- yourself as a critic, which means that you have to make a critique. I don't have you to don't, do anything, you don't, you don't I just have to watch it. there tell- to do that. Why? I don't see. This is the thing I don't understand. Like, I write, I write, I've written movie essays on a blog that I co-started. I don't have to do anything. Like it doesn't even make any sense. Like I mean, nobody's going to arrest you. But the the premise of what you're doing is is you're saying to the world, "Here are my critiques on on okay. these movies." Yeah, that and? means that you have to assess them in terms beyond were they good or bad. Why? That's insane. That doesn't even make any sense at all. What, what other look criteria at what is there? They're doing and they're ex- doing and something wrong or right. That's the end. I radically disagree with that entire notion. I absolutely don't. Because you can look at something like Plan Nine from Outer Space by most metrics is a bad movie. Mm-hmm. But like we all agree, yes, continue. But it's also pretty fun and it does a lot right in kind of a unique no, it way. No, it and doesn't. if it didn't, then people wouldn't sit there in theaters all the time and watch it and laugh at it and laugh with it. And it's become this sort of clown film. Like that's there's a, but there's what does a that have to do with anything? Like I so if I wrote a review of Plan Nine from Outer Space, I have to be like, hey guys, it's really bad. It fails in every way, but I guess like it's fun and funny, so we're all happy. Like no, what does you that have mean? to assess why you have the emotional response to it. That but that's you what I do when I write about a movie I like or dislike. That's exactly. I what don't I do. agree. I haven't. But I, what, haven't I seen guess that. what am I doing then? What what is happening? Like when I, when I write an essay, that's like, dude, I really fucking love the movie Stone Reader. What what else is happening in that like in those words the, beyond that? It doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? What your reviews are not? I really like the movie Stone Reader. Why? Period. Are they Cody weighing on this? Well, you Stone said Reader. You said more than that. Just sent it. But, 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 but right. But I mean, boiled down to his essence, the essay about Stone Reader is I really fucking like this movie. It's a favorite. But it's not why. boiled down to its essence. It's presented as a different thing. What is that? What do you mean? I, just, I, get my, I mean, you're not giving like, a star rating to something and ending the whole discussion on it. You're opening up discussions on these things with these weird arbitrary criteria and this like shifting sand of 
You know, I, I, like I, I, some I, things like it seems I think, reading, the 70s. I think you're reading way too into the stuff that I have to say, dude. It's like I watch Stone Reader. If I like it, I'll and if I love it, I'll fucking write an essay for you about why it's good. I mean, I don't really see what else has to happen or, or what other duty I have to anybody for any reason. It's just like, dude, is it a good movie or a bad movie? If it's good, I'll tell you it's good. If it's bad, I'll tell you it's bad. Like there's really nothing else to do. I mean, anybody else that's doing more than that. Um, is either just like somebody like Ebert who like has a political reason. I'm doing the air quotes, political reason to like do more because he works for like a newspaper, but it's just like, and he has, you know, excellent number of readers. Um, but, uh, I'm not Ebert. I'm just so what a guy. you're saying is smug film is kind of worthless as a publication. I mean, I'm saying that is what it I'm, sounds like. Well, why see that doesn't make sense either because like, it's like, if I wrote something that I thought was neat and I, and I think someone else might like to hear like what, why I like this movie or don't like this movie or whatever, then that's the, that is the value. But like, that is the exact same value that anything that Ebert has ever said has what possible other value could it have? We are talking about whether or not we like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It's like, if Ebert doesn't like it, then who gives a fuck? If he does like he it, would who write gives reviews a fuck? of films he didn't like though, where he would sort of assess and diagram them what what didn't work what did but work. i do the exact same thing i've have, never dude, I have i've not never seen that dude I, what you have seen is like a, 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 a hyperbolic aside where i'll be like all this stuff sucks what you apparently haven't read is like any essay where i've gone into any detail about why something isn't good which i do just as often as i do in essays about things that are that are good I haven't. Half the time, I don't understand it. I, I still don't understand your criticism of Stagecoach beyond it wasn't good, period, and then different ways of I mean, I haven't seen Stagecoach that. in 15 years or 20. I was never inspired to watch it again. I mean, if you want, we could look at it and No, I, I mean, explain. I don't even care about whether or not you think that one movie was good. I've, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, I think, have very detailed perceptions of why. I just think, critically speaking, the kind of broad strokes you're using are... are Kind of meaningless. I mean, they're just as meaningless or not meaningless as anything that Ebert would say because it's He didn't still, work in those broad strokes, but, though. He worked in specifics. But, <sighs> I mean, first of all, that's not really true because if you read any of his, like, one-off pieces oh, where it's I, like a movie, yeah, they're all just, like, mostly plot. Like, they're like, here's all the stuff that happens. Here's my star rating. Here's a couple paragraphs about whether it's good or bad. You're a fucking family of four. Go see it or don't go see it. That's fucking boring, nothing criticism that is for, like, the dude reading the Sunday paper back in 1988. Whatever. The point is, though, like, it, there's no... I, no one's opinion of a fucking piece of art has anything to do with, like, what I think or don't think about it. And the same should be true for everybody. Like, it's so... It's insanely silly to be like... He has a, the duty to like explain all this stuff about, uh, you know, what, what context is it bad and this thing and that. It's like, dude, if he explains to me why he didn't like it, he did a good job. That's criticism. It's explaining why you do or don't like something. It doesn't need to be anything else. And especially me on like uh, on Smug Film, which is a site that like I co-made up. What purpose would there be to do it any other way? It's like. Anyone that reads a sentence that has me saying all Westerns suck, it's like they automatically have to know that that's my opinion because it's not there's there's no objective fact that's like Westerns are good. Westerns are bad. It's like it's obvious that speaking in absolutes is just here's my opinion. Obviously, what's yours? If you don't think all Westerns suck, come at me with why I'm not. It's not going to change my opinion or really sort of 
matter, but it like piques your interest because we all love movies and we want to talk about them. That's like the point. Well, I so like you're saying there's no way to change your opinion when you make an absolute like that. Why would there be? I like reading your pieces for the same reason I like reading Armand White's pieces. Is oh, yeah, that sometimes too. I absolutely agree with you on things, mm-hmm. uh, mostly with documentaries. I think you have a extremely keen eye for documentaries that Thanks, man, yeah. a lot of people don't even realize because they just associate you with the idea of what a movie is. Yeah, right, right. Uh, essay because they're just thinking about narrative. I also think films. that's also documentary is still looked at as like this different thing. Yeah, and it's like. Clearly in the last 20 years, like documentaries have grown and there's a lot like, you know, I'm happy to see that they're sort of becoming more mainstream, but like, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's sort of less around. So I, sometimes I do feel like, um, it's nice to have the opportunity to be able to write about like some documentaries that people might not know about that are like really cool. And, you know, absolutely. And I think, you know, when it comes to what I would call your blind spots, it's just a quirk of you for me when I'm reading your work, because I'll see the stuff I agree with. I'll see the stuff I don't agree with. And I just, I like that your take is so far removed from most people's take, much like I like Armand White's mm-hmm. very far removed take. And that's why I would read a Greg piece and say, yeah, I like this. And that's why I would read your pieces when I'm editing them and be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can't wait to post this. So I think there's room for any way of looking at movies. I understand completely what John's talking about as far as a duty beyond I like this or I don't like this. I don't think there's a duty in that. I don't think there's an oath or anything like that. I think that there's an obligation and a set of criteria that if you don't meet, you're wasting everybody's time. And I think the concept of talking about movies where you make axioms and then you have an opinion that cannot be changed and it's just... All these sort of but what is, thrown in the dark generalizations. I mean, what's the point? But what is not a waste of time about the alternative? Like when someone meets those criteria, what is not just as much a waste of time about reading that? What like do you, what do you, what do you gain from criteria? it? What say it again? Sorry. What do you mean when like okay when you so okay you you're saying that like if you don't meet this certain criteria, um, you're wasting your time. Totally understand. I'm with you on that, and I feel the same way about like other art that I don't like, etc. My point is this though, if um. When you like see somebody that is like fulfilling all this stuff that you need to be there for criticism, like someone that's not wasting oh, your I time. Oh, I get you. I get you. Yeah. What? What is that? Per- what? Why is your time not being wasted in that? Well, sense? Ju- just like I think a movie is kind of a way to put you in somebody else's perspective. I think a good piece of writing about movies should put you in somebody else's but then perspective I would argue of that how I'm doing they that, watched But then I would it. argue that I'm doing that probably way more than the Eberts of the world. I don't because, agree. I'll, I'll because give, like, I'll give because you an Ebert though. is tied to, like I said before, that Ebert is tied to a political system where he had to talk about the plot a bunch or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, without those ties, you're getting a direct fucking line right into what I think. And it sounds to me like you just don't like the idea that somebody would be so rash to say, like, I don't like any Westerns or old movies and stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't care about that as an idea. I don't like that as an idea in the context of, frankly, the only reason I even cared about your piece at all was because I was writing on the same site and didn't want to be associated with that. <laughs> didn't want people to think that was sort of the mantra for See, the that's entire also weird. That's, site. That's really weird that, I, that, any, that you would care. I mean, like, Dude, anything that you've written on the site, like I've, I've probably not cared about in that way and been like, but I would never be like, I don't want that to represent like me. I didn't. I mean, I don't. I see, still that's so don't. Weird I to me. absolutely don't. But it's so weird but, to me but, to care that to much. To give you an example, though, I mean, there are some pieces off the top of my head. Bill Jabiri had a really good piece about Lincoln and there's this site 
the exploding dummy that had a really good piece about the Green Berets. And they were um, not so much assessments of whether those were good or bad, but they were just sort of looks at like what the filmmaker was doing and how the writer as an audience member responded to that. Not so much judging, you know, sure. did it fucking work. And those two, I came out of it every, having seen those movies again, they're not exactly the same movie that they were before. And to me, that's what a good piece of film writing should do. It should it should tweak your perception of the movie. I do have that reaction with Greg's pieces, though, is that I like seeing movies from your perspective sometimes because it's so narrow and it's a new way to look at it. So I do get that experience when I read his pieces. I think we need to cut it short real quick. There's like an audio problem on Greg's where okay. there's um some squeaking that I'll handle. I, I might be like bumping stuff, dude. Yeah. I can, should it's I all right. we'll, well, let me know if this is better. We'll, we'll take a quick break okay. for a mailbag and we'll be right back. Squeaking? You got a bird in your pocket? Ladies and gentlemen, if you have listened this far into this episode, chances are you are a fan of Smug Film. And if you're a fan of Smug Film, you should become a member of Smug Film Club because you're missing out on some great stuff that you could be enjoying. Smug Film Club is our online mailing list. We're not going to email you when an episode goes up. We're not going to email you when an article goes up on the site. The only time we're going to email you is when we have a free gift for you. These gifts include bonus podcast episodes that will never be on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to get them is by becoming a member of Smug Film Club for free. When you sign up, you will get our Best of 2014 podcast episode where we talk about all our favorite films of 2014. And you can only get that by being a Smug Film Club member. So go to smugfilm.com slash club and put in your first name, last name, and email address. You'll get that episode right away. And you'll get all sorts of other fun stuff every month. Enjoy. And now back to the show. I just quickly to John wanted to go back and ask the, the question before about, and I know I sorry I had like a stumbling to get through it, but it was like, when, when you read a piece of criticism that's really good and, it, and you say it like it tweaks your, your thinking of the movie, to me, what I would say is this. If I love a movie, I love the movie Signs more than anything. If I read a piece of writing about Signs, whether it's good or bad, I do have an emotional uh, response to that because Signs is like part of my fucking life, man. It's like I love it. So if someone else likes it, um, I feel good about that. I, I feel I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like this other, you know, it's like it's that cute thing of like, hey, if the, if I met this guy in a coffee house, like we could fucking talk about signs and it would be like cool. And and the opposite could happen if they didn't like it, you know. But I think that it sounds like what happens is it's it's almost like people apply take that take that little emotional um thing that they get from that and they like apply it to this thing where all of a sudden criticism like either has to do that or has to um, uh, like, I don't know. It either has to do that or it has to sort of like inform their thinking in some way. It has to, it has to get really get inside them. And to me, I'm more looking at criticism as like, just what does this dude have to say about the movie? And if it's, if I like what he has to say, that's cool. Maybe I'll read him again. If he doesn't, I'll probably never read it again. I, I just, I guess to me, it's like, you know, I do realize that by making a blog smoke film and, putting pieces on it it's like i'm you know an honorary critic and i'm doing the air quotes and i'm I'm sort of fine with that but i don't really see there being any um like 
anything beyond it than uh, just talking about movies, really. And I think, um, you know, whenever I write a piece, I start, I try to start with why did I like this thing and how can I explain how I liked it or didn't like it to somebody else and get as detailed as possible in relation to, um, you know, its grammatical structure as a movie and um, everything else that goes into that, the performances, the blah, 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 lighting, et cetera. Um, I guess I just hear coming from you like a way different perspective about what criticism like is and what it's for and what it should do and all this stuff. And I, I don't under, that's where I don't understand it. That's where I think our rift comes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my whole thing is I feel like you should, you should aim for pieces that widen or deepen somebody's perception of what's out there. I guess there I don't believe I have the ability of, to you know, do that. Movies. I guess I don't feel like I have the ability to do that. Cause I don't really believe that someone could do that to me. So it's like, how would that even be like, I get, again, it's talking about like, I, if I, my thing, if I could convince somebody else that signs was a good movie, that person is like, kind of like dumb or I don't really respect them. Cause it's like, don't you have your own ideas? Like I shouldn't be able to fucking convince you that this thing is good. I should basically just be able to tell you what I love about it. And that can be of whatever value to you, you take away. That's how I look at all commentary and criticism, because it's not really worth anything more than that. It's not about trying to convince or whatever. It's just, or educate. It's just, here's the sort of inner workings of like what I think about stuff. All right. I think, I think both of your positions are pretty clear. I think we can move on to the mailbag. Oh shit. I didn't even think that was a thing. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. What's in the we, we only have one question from the mailbag today. And that question is, this is from Derek and he asks, Will Greg DeLiso ever make good on his hectic knife GoFundMe rewards? Oh, that's from my brother-in-law <laughs> and he's, uh, yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about hectic knife real quick because right. hectic knife is a movie you've been making for a couple of years. Four years. Four years. Yeah. Fuck. Isn't that crazy? And sum it up real quick. What's the, uh, what was the, the method in which you made it? Because it's kind of an in interesting oh, method. I, it started by accident. Um, I was living on my friend's couch and he's a real goofball. Sorry. I was, yeah, start, I was living on my friend's couch. He's a real goofball and I had no money at the time. And he was, um, he put me on retainer at $300 a month, which was equal to my rent for him living on his couch. And, uh, we just started making these dumbass little short things with like stupid props and stuff. It was all just to goof around. And, uh, he put on a costume that was like all black and he got two big steak knives out of the kitchen, put on a big, long, long, long blonde wig. And he goes, I want to have a knife fight with, uh, Johnny, this kid that like, uh, hangs out in the lobby of our building. And I was like, dude, that sounds really like a bad idea. It's, he's like 15. That's not safe. Like at all. We can't do that. So he was like, fine. Why don't you just film me like fucking dicking around on the roof with these like knives? So I filmed him on the, on our roof. I made it black and white just cause I thought it looked really neat. And, uh, we looked at it. We thought it was kind of funny. He put some music on it and I said, dude, we should call this hectic knife. And then the next thing I know about two months later, we were like casting Craigslist actors based on their headshot and how goofy they looked and all that stuff. And just bring, you know, bringing all these people together. And like, we were making more hectic knife things with no intention of making a movie. And then after probably around like the third or fourth shoot, when, um, we just got like these crazy Craigslist people and they were just like out of control and, um, really funny and just really weird. And we were, we really liked it. So we started making a movie and then, um, we turned it into a movie and then it's, I gotta say, it's really not advised to, um, start making a movie when you don't intend to fully because the sound won't be good. And you're going right. to spend three years doing ADR, uh, which is what Jesus happened. Christ. There's a lot of characters in Hex Knife <laughs> that are voiced by other people. 
And I'm safe to say, I'm happy to say that so far, no one has been able to tell like that, you know, that right. It lines up really good. Yeah. Um, That's that's very lucky. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and it's almost done finally. I mean, it's been four years and it's almost finished. So where are you at percentage wise with it as far as finished? Oh, uh, we're locking the sound, um, like right now essentially. And I just literally have to, uh, you know, finish the color correct because the picture is like locked, finish the color correct, uh, throw in some more after effects shit. And then just uh, learn how to export it because I don't even know. I mean, this is like it was shot on DVX, so it's SD, but mm-hmm. I want to make it as big as possible. So I have to like learn about how you blow up to HD. I don't even know what the fuck happens, but we got to do something with that. So we're doing that. Um, and after that, we start test screening. And once we do the test screening, I'm probably going to want to suck out another couple of minutes because it's a comedy and it's got to we got to find out. Where what, how many are. minutes are you at right now? Right now it's 91. Yeah, and that's what you were aiming for, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, right? I liked. I feel like at its best, it would probably be more around like eighty-five. So I want to see what stuff is not working at all and just get rid of it. And the vibe of it is kind of you know madcap. Sort yeah, it's of very maybe like, David Wayney. Yeah, just a bunch of goofball stuff. I mean, there is like a quote-unquote story, but it's more just like a lot of weird meta stuff. And I mean, you know, it's like hectic is like this very cartoonish, like cop, um, comic booky, like superhero vigilante, and he. He's just basically he's just a down on his luck vigilante that's got two big state knives and he shreds up uh, baddies and villains and stuff and saves women and has a girlfriend and a roommate. And well, I've been him. I've been dying to see this for many, many years. You've yeah. been talking about it to me for a long, long time. Yeah. And you had that GoFundMe, which is what he's referring to. Mm. And that was pretty successful. You got some money to be able to. I think we raised like 4,000. We asked for like 20, which was stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, we raised like four. And But the funny thing is like, dude, we raised that like a year ago and it's been sucked away. I think John has to go. I yeah, yeah. We're keeping him. He's like. John, you get an appointment. Yeah, I really got to. <laughs> All right. I have a seven o'clock at Flatbush. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go get the door for John and let him out. Now we are back. Uh, we were talking Hectic Knife with Greg DeLiso. Estimated time of arrival. Well, um, basically right now it is January, what, 16th, 15th. So yeah, it's my five month wedding. Don't give away when we're actually recording this. <laughs> oh, does that matter? Is that a thing? I don't it's know. It's probably not going to go up for a couple of weeks. All right. Anyway, it's right now it's the middle of January. And I would say that if this doesn't go up for a couple of weeks, ideally it will be ready to test screen by the time this airs, which means when I say test screen, what I mean is this, we were, we are going to create a picture and sound locked version of the movie that will be exported, you know, we'll put it onto a good DVD and we'll make a screener print of it or, or multiple prints. And we will show this to friends, family and test screening audiences to try to get the like, collect data to actually sort of finish it. So even to make it, is, it as good as you can. Yeah. So even though it is like picture locked, it's not technically done, but it is like showable, but it's not going to be ready for, um, you know, like go, taking it on tour or festivals or all that crap. Um, until a little bit later until a couple months because we so really, you're doing all that those edits before you even submit it anywhere essentially yeah yeah so how do you feel about test screenings in general because you know it seems like when they're studio imposed they can be pretty fucked up because then it's really just like the studio wants these changes so they're right. gonna juke the stats and get those changes done by saying that america wants something but i feel like self-imposed test screenings can have benefit. Like I remember Aziz Ansari test screened his special, his most recent one. Mm -hmm. And he, he made all these edits to it based on that. And that was the most solid thing he's ever put out. That was a great fucking special. Yeah. And I think, 
that the test screening probably did help in that regard. What do you, what are your thoughts on test screenings in general? Uh, I mean, look, if you're talking about the classic like Hollywood executive version where it's like, we got to get all these people to watch Seinfeld and like talk about how it's bad. And then the the classic thing is like, they all hate it. And then it's funny late years later when it's a hit. I mean, that's all that I, yes, I can totally understand how if I was like Spielberg, and I had to like drag my th- feet through a bunch of test screenings kind of in, when I, when I was in a position, if I was like Spielberg or whatever, where I like knew that like, fuck you, it's just going to be published anyway. Like let's not waste our time with all this crap. And we know that Hollywood just wants to like make sure their product is fucking perfect and too many cooks and all that. I, yeah. I mean, I think we can all get on board with that being, um, you know, shitty, uh, and sort of the homogenization of art and everything. But, um, as someone who's just like making a movie on their own, who's trying to make a comedy, who, yeah, I think comedy is really the key thing here. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it being a comedy, it being like you know densely, in in my feeling anyway, densely packed with jokes, which means that um, you know ideally there's laughs like throughout it and stuff. Uh, you just gotta. I think it, I think it's it would just be like insane to just be like, well, I'm done, and then just try to show it to people. I mean, you know, we could we could show this thing to people, and there could just be crickets, and it, the whole thing would be a failure. Now, obviously, that could happen in any context, but the hope is that's like some of it's working and some of it's funny. I feel like if that happened though, you just kind of X that out. Yeah. Yeah. Because really what you're looking for is you're looking for the audience that likes most of it, yes. but maybe there's like one or two scenes yeah. that fall flat. Yeah. And then it's, and and maybe if they fall flat over a course of like many different screenings, then you know, like, all right, these guys are the guys exactly. who, who like the movie. It's just that they don't like this one. Particular exactly. Scene. It's about, um, it's this is the way I look at it, and I've sort of Pete and I, uh, Pete I should say for context and stuff. Pete is like uh, Peter Litvin is my you know collaborator on this project. He's he, he and I is did, hectic knife. Yeah, he plays himself. hectic knife. He also produced the movie and he did all the sound and the music. And it's it, the two of us are just like a team. We sort of together did everything. Um, you know, it's been a thing with Pete where it's like you know he'll be like, dude, I really love you know this moment. We, we can't get rid of that. And I'll, I'll start being like, well, yeah, you know, I love it too, but we're always going to have a DVD and I'd rather make a movie that people are dying to see more of right. than there's a frame too much of it because of the second there's too much, then they can't ever want more because they already saw too much. So it's just like, um, with a test screening again, being a comedy is a really, it's that I think that's, I think if you're doing comedy stuff, you, you like you have to test screen because basically if you think about it, like you're a standup you're always test screening. You're always right. test, a, you're testing your material all the time. Continual process. It's yeah. not any different from going on stage exactly, a couple yeah. nights before your big show. Yeah. And- so it's really like the thing is, you know, it's it's about finding an audience of people that don't know me, don't know Pete, don't know any of us, uh, who are interested, hopefully, in what we feel is a similar, you know, I, I hate this word, but demographic of the movie. So like people that like trauma or David Wayne or weird comedies and weird shit like that. And then just sort of watching it with them and then having them not know who I am and just feeling the parts where they like it the most and where they like it the least. And then just sort of um, doing that enough times on repeat until you get sort of a sense. Yeah, I think that's like a great idea. I wish that approach were taken more, I yeah. think, especially because more more and more people are creating movies in a vacuum mm-hmm. um, because you can basically home. You can. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. homebrew the whole damn thing. Yep. And you're not ever, it's not really seeing the light of day until it sees the light of day. And then by the time it sees the light of day, it's so yep. much your own thing that either people are going to really, really respond to it and be like, yeah, man, I'm on your same wavelength or they're not going to be. But maybe there were some 
tooling you could do to sort of bring the person in. Yeah. Jay Moore has this great quote that I love about, uh, you know, keep it real, but don't keep it so real that you keep it to yourself. Yeah, sure. In other words, that people, people want to meet you halfway on something. Mm -hmm. People want to, you know, get down with your pretty idiosyncratic film it's just maybe they're not 100% there yet. Yeah, maybe right, there's right. some tooling you could do. Exactly, you, yeah. You know, you could be best of friends with you in this movie that this person's made, but it's just these tiny tweaks. I don't think even people realize how small the tweaks can be sometimes. Oh, right, yeah, of course. Especially with a comedy. It's mm-hmm. like it, you take out one joke that was fallen flat and it becomes like a four-star into a five-star yeah. in people's minds. You know, um, both Cody and I here, you know, we're both big David Wayne fans. And David Wayne, um, sort of a couple of years ago had sort of what you would consider in his career be to be almost like this weird crossover thing because he, he made a movie called Wanderlust and it resembles all his other movies, but it, the difference between it is that it was like a Hollywood venture. Um, his other movies, what had American summer and the 10 were made for, um, you know, what's considered micro budgets, which is like under $5 million or less than that, you know, maybe one, 1 million or so. And they were very small sort of insular things and they, you know, they, they're great, but he goes to make Wanderlust and it's a bigger budget. You got some bigger stars in the movie and he's just talking about, um, I heard him in an interview and he's talking about the scrutiny that they go over for like one joke in the movie. Like, uh, there's this great scene if you've seen it when, um, dude from Key and Peele's like, he's made the car go into the, um, Mm. into the water yeah and he's talking to paul rudd and he's like it just happened like a cut to car in the river or whatever there's like a piece missing in the story yes, of how it even got into the I water set this up better paul rudd's car he wakes up and his car's in a river and he turns to the guy that put the car in the river and the guy instead of telling him what happened is like i was driving and then cut to car in the river and like <laughs> that's what ha- you know that, that's all he says but they sort of keep re going through this conversation and stuff and david Owen was just talking about the scrutiny that they put over that one little tiny moment of like where do i cut uh this thing and you know what's going to make the joke work the right way and i think like what's i think this is what i got from that is that like you know i think really good artists are you know sure of themselves and they know what's work and what doesn't work and they can just put it out there and they make it and it's done and they release it right and that's a good artist or that's like a working artist but the best artists of all time have all those same skills and tools but then they also know that they don't know everything and mm-hmm. they're willing to put in the scrutiny over one tiny thing to make it work for, for the, for the audience and for themselves. That's like the greatest artists ever because they, they hold together in their head. Not only just like, here's what we have to do. Here's what I want to be. Here's what it should be. I, I know what this is. It's, you know, I'm sort of the God, the creator, but then at the same time, they're willing to like, let their baby, um, you know, be right. They're not, handled. they're not so precious about yeah, it. Yeah. that. They're, it's it's yeah. like when you coddle a kid and then he turns out to be like fucking crazy mm-hmm. kid. And it's like, well, that's why that happened is yep. because you're so precious about him that you didn't let him have other experiences than the experiences you were giving him. Exactly, yep. I think a great example of a comedy that sort of almost was really shitty and then was really good when they cut a lot out of it was Walk Hard. Because if you watch mm-hmm. the extended version of Walk Hard... It is so fucking bad and it is so overblown and it's like it's damn near two and a half hours where they go through like every decade yeah. in his life and it's just shit. Yeah, it's, it's just like I, it's, so I've only ever seen that, the long version and it's yeah. awful. Yeah. Oh, you it, yeah, you can barely like watch it. Yeah. But 
the the version that they cut, like the ninety minute breezy fucking version, mm-hmm. is really fucking funny. I think that movie doesn't get enough credit. Sure, it sort of fell by the wayside. Right, right, yeah. Um, it did kind of just disappear. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought about it because I just also it was like this sucks. I don't care. And it's strange because people love John C. Riley, yeah. especially now. Yeah. Uh, you'd think they'd go back and revisit it. Right. Uh, but so if you're listening at home, watch <laughs> the theatrical version of Walk Hard. They're both on the same DVD, I'm oh, sure. Okay. Um, but that fucking director's cut is just and also, so bad. Like, I'll think about it like this. Like, okay, uh, the first Anchorman, they shot enough material yeah. in that movie to where they went and made a second movie called Wake Up Ron Burgundy that is literally like alternate takes but then also an entirely other plot with chuck d and maya rudolph and um what's that guy from from buffalo 66 and uh uh the guy kevin corrigan yeah kevin corrigan was great um there's a whole fucking story with those dudes and they cut it out and here's the thing they cut it out completely they cut that out like of the fucking movie completely and they made a 90 minute comedy uh, called anchorman that is like you know, for being a movie that's like full of like meta insanity and just like nonsense, it feels tight enough to where it's like 90 minutes and it's fine. If that movie had been made um, 10 years later in 2004, it, instead it would have been two and a half hours and it would have had just all that stuff in it. Right. I because blame the, Apatow for that. Thing. Oh, absolutely. I think you can pinpoint pinpoint Four Year Old Virgin absolutely for me the is, is, the, is the change because Four Year Virgin was his first one. It was a big hit and it was like two hours and it did feel like this huge lack of uh craftsmanship and stuff because it was just like cameras on dudes improving and shit yeah his style and it was, was the apatow style is too much yeah it, it it's by its very nature and he would even admit to himself mm-hmm. you know it's it's too much it's making two and a half hour comedies because yeah. he he wants to be like you know it's like every time his out- idea of people in the past like he I'm sure he loves Albert Brooks. Right. But Albert Brooks wouldn't fucking do no, that. But in his mind, every, he thinks he, that he, that is like being a serious, funny comedian dude, making movies. he is Stanley Kramer. And every time out, he's trying to make fucking <laughs> It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Like yeah. every movie. Because they're all that long and they're all packed with everybody. And it's just like, no, dude. I mean, it's look, it, to me, same exact fucking thing with P.T. Anderson. Um, I know his career is a little bit kind of weirder because he's got other stuff going on. But but to me, it's like, dude. Punch Drunk Love is fucking awesome. Yep. It's perfect. And it's 90 minutes and it's one dude and it's idiosyncratic and fucking weird and bizarre and beautiful and strange and all this stuff. And every scene and, there is great. Yes. Every scene in Punch Drunk Love is like soaked with P.T. Anderson, but it doesn't get nothing gets in the way of just like the story, which is like I, I you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Boogie Nights because I grew up uh, watching it and it inspired me a lot, but I don't it's not a great movie. And then Magnolia is like, you know, so long and, you know, I actually heard him on the commentary for, I think, Boogie Nights and he's talking about his like indulgence because he's like, they told me on Hard Eight, like I had to do this and that and I'm fuck you. I'm going to make a three hour movie and eat blah, blah. And then he cut down Boogie Nights to be like two and a half hours. And then purposely in Magnolia, he makes it like three hours exactly on purpose yeah. to like mimic like Altman and all this stuff. And it's just like, dude, you're, you're so far up your own ass. Can't you just cool it and do stuff like punch your uncle? I mean, look to me, th- these are a couple of his movies. Like once we get into like, there will be blood. I'm like, the guy lost his mind. I don't know what the fuck is happening. It's like insane. I dude, I, I remember there will be blood as being in black and white. Cause it looks so fucking weird. <laughs> and it's just like stuff. I mean, I don't even know what the hell that thing's trying to be at all, but, um, 
Yeah. Did, did you know. hear the uh, WTF pod with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson? It was a couple no. weeks back, again, dating the time we were <laughs> recording this podcast. Um, but he goes into uh, Magnolia and he goes, he goes into every single, really? and every single one of his movies, but he gets asked about Magnolia about like uh, Mark Maron asks him like, you know, would you change anything? And it was like, that's a really long movie. He was like, yeah, I probably would have cut like 40 minutes from that yeah. movie or something. So I think in retrospect, yeah. he realized he was, it was a period in his life, as you're saying, mm-hmm. where he was being overblown oh, by dude, design. How old was he when he made Boogie Nights? Like 24? Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Too. It's, I can't even imagine I, like yeah. me no, at 24 weird. making some, having that much responsibility and making Boogie Nights. Really of weird. course it would be overblown. Mm-hmm. Of course I wouldn't know what I was doing and I would be at the same time, so yeah. fully overconfident with what I was doing. Like no, that of course. great I, dichotomy. I, I absolutely give him a pass because like, dude, it had somebody, if I was that age and it had somebody given me the, that stuff to make a movie like that, I probably would have turned out something like as good as Boogie Nights, <laughs> which is not, I mean, that's, uh, that's me not being arrogant. That's me telling everybody how little I think of Boogie Nights. Well, that's a history. That's a history of indie film at no, that time. It yeah, was, yeah, everybody yeah. was giving, these guys, this great responsibility. They each person basically got their movie that was their That's huge the 70s responsibility. That we're sort of talking about now, basically. Right, but yeah. again, in the '90s right, with these right, young right. guys, was, yeah, sure, they were yeah. just giving these guys stuff like Paul Thomas Anderson, who like nobody would give somebody boogie nights oh no it's today. all it's all it's, it's all, so much a product of the time Pulp fiction basically yeah because Pulp fiction is what 94 and then boogie nights is 97 so it's just like yeah in that within that like three to f- i mean you got go in there yeah um there, but there's a lot of that stuff i mean it's all like basically that gap in time was like hey who made anything between like 1989 and 1993 like can we just like make give them a movie to make in hollywood like let's yep. just do that i mean that's all i mean then you got spike lee and kevin smith and just the, the list goes on of everybody it was insane yeah it, yeah and I then, mean, but that's also i mean the 90s had a lot of great the 90s had some good of that stuff and then hollywood was still good i think there were great movies being made but yeah. it was it was a psychotic idea of oh, giving these yeah. these kids that are younger than us talking right now these huge responsibilities <sighs> It's like yeah. where people are at right now. People are complaining about how like John Waters can't get a movie made. Right. Spike Lee can't get a movie made and all this. Yeah. I don't feel that way. I feel like they're where they should have been. No, that's true. Back then. Also, it's, also, it's almost like karma coming back dude, around. They also can get a movie made because Spike Lee can go raise $5 million on Kickstarter and yeah. I can't fucking do that. Exactly. And, and the other thing is it's like, yeah, that's about their worth. You're, you're right. It's like, yes, Spike Lee is is has amassed enough people that'll give him five million bucks to make a movie. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it's like sort of even it, now. Yeah, that's, that's where it yes, should be. He's back to that. And and also, it's funny. I mean, no offense to the dude, but it's like it kind of is proof that when Hollywood lets you into their fortress, you do end up making better shit because. The shit that Spike Lee makes now is fucking terrible. Yeah. But when he had like a little bit of a budget from Hollywood and they let him kind of go to Brooklyn and do whatever he wants, you get do the right thing. Not the best we ever made, but a million times fucking better than Red Hook Summer. But at the same time, he was also much younger. I mean, there's a lot. Of, and he's a got lot a of, lot of great people around. Yeah, there's him, a lot of shit like people forget around. how big a movie yeah. collaboration really is. And that when there's a lot of money involved, you're getting a yeah. lot. Ideally, you're getting the best people yes, around exactly. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the other thing to speak on with that is like, it's crazy for me to be 28 and then to imagine that they're like giving PT Anderson $10 million to make Boogie Nights. Crazy to me. But it's not in the sense that like artists are supposed to be young, basically, and they always burn out. And I don't care about 
seeing Spike Lee's movie at 55 as much as I do whatever he made when he was like 29, because it's just like, you don't, you're not fighting for anything anymore. Like you're not trying to make it. You're not trying to say anything. And that's why I like Red Hook Summer and the stuff that he's done, um, really in the last like 10 years, except for Inside Man, which I thought was kind of cool, which ironically incidentally was his Hollywood. Yeah. Right. right. But, uh, but it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Hollywood shows that Spike Lee knows how to make a movie for sure. Inside Man is cool. But when they, when he's left to his own devices, He's like a 50 year old washed out dude. That's like makes red hook summer. And he's at like the same skill set as when he started yeah. that pretty much. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's going back to not yep. really knowing where to put a camera, yeah. how to light something, exactly, how to edit something. Yeah. I feel like having a low budget, you really do see what a filmmaker's mm-hmm. capabilities are on their own. Yeah, And every filmmaker that's ever like made it will always tell you like, you know, that first one, it took so long and blah, blah. It was just like college. It was like going through their college years. Like they right. learned everything on like, it was know, a crash course. Yeah. Like I get, I get, you know, flustered. Sometimes I think about Hex and knife. I'm 28. I was like 24 when I started and it was been four years, but dude, I mean, David Lynch took four years to make a racer head and there's a, sh- there's, there's, there's all kinds of the famous thing about a racer. There's a, there's a cut in a racer head where the yes, first yeah, cut, it's like years, there's a, there's a year between or yeah. three years, even maybe between a guy opening a door and then yeah, yeah. being on the other side of it. Yeah, Of course. If you watch any commentaries by John Carpenter, he's so fucking like smitten by that idea. And he's like, he'll be like, I haven't watched, uh, I haven't watched a fucking escape from New York in so long. Let me like look at it. And then he does a dumb thing where he like just watches it. And I'll be like, dude, did you guys know that we shot that in Atlanta? And then he opens the door and then we shot it in Hollywood. And he's like, he's so fucking into it. And it's like, yeah, dude, we all like it's not that crazy. Like we get it. Yeah, we we know how movies yeah, are made, but he's cool. Yeah, Carpenter's great. Did you see that uh, that Robert Rodriguez Carpenter thing? No. On the El Rey Network, Rodriguez was doing these cool things for a little while, and then he stopped. And I don't know what the fuck he's doing with this right now. Where it was like every couple of weeks he'd be talking to a director, and it was just like mm-hmm. a sit down one on one hour. Thing. I always liked Rodriguez. Like yeah. when I was a kid. He was really, um, this was like earlier Rodriguez. So he had really only done like Desperado mm-hmm. and I was just getting into movies and he was like really influential because the whole story of El Mariachi and like the seven thousand exactly. dollars and the yeah. super eight. And I never like El Mariachi. I don't like it all. It's boring. But the but idea the, of the it idea of doing that definitely like that, kicks you in the ass. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's always that we all, everybody now has that Kevin Smith story of like, Oh, I saw a slacker and I had to make movies cause I thought I could. Like, that's what we all saw when we saw Clerks. It was like, sure. I could probably get 20 grand and some dudes and talk, you know, have them talk. Like, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. So it was, a, it was a great interview with Carpenter. He did one with uh, Del Toro. He did one with Tarantino. It was like a two-parter. Nice. And then, I don't know, what the fuck else is he do, is he's doing? Like, I click on fucking El Rey and it's well, didn't just, Sin City it's just, just luchador wrestling. Well, didn't Sin City, and, didn't he just make another Sin City? Yeah, he made Sin City 2, which tanked. But yeah, it was I like, seen it. I don't know. I saw the first one. Yeah. I feel like Sin City one was such a product of that moment when it came out, it was like, th- we need this right now. Mm-hmm. And for only now Yeah, it was digital, it was projected digitally. And it was like, the look was, it predated 300. So it was like really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then now it served its, like its purpose. Man. And then yeah, now when you try just, and come out with a sequel, it's yeah. like, yeah. how do you have that same well, reaction I think that, now? I think, you can't. I mean, no, you can't. I, I, you know, I don't know. I remember looking at Sin City and thinking it looks neat, but not really caring about the story. So, I mean, that's why I didn't care about the second one. Maybe you should make a better movie. Spy Kids 7. Yeah. <laughs> How many are there now? There's He's like so four cool, or five. Dude. He's like, look, I come from the low budget world. I was on Spy Kids. 
we get these, we just had three fake rocks and I could just move them into the background, all the different shots, <laughs> put them a different way. It's like, all right. I mean, sure. Yeah. It's great. What well, was that one? The shark boy, lava girl oh, one. Yeah, oh yeah, my God. I, I lost, I mean, you know, I don't mind. Um, yeah. That one about like rainbow rocks or something. There was that weird kids movie. I don't mind. Like, uh, what's the, the it faculty. wasn't holes, but it was like rocks or something. Holes, holes is kind of cool. <laughs> I don't mind the faculty, but everything after that, I kind of lost. Um, well, I, I love, lost. uh, I love from dust till dawn. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's the that's okay. one. That's okay. The from dust till dawn is the fucking movie where everybody's like, you can't turn it off after a minute because you've missed <laughs> the thing. Cause it changes into something else. And it's like, yeah, guys, yes, it changes from like gangsters to vampires. But it doesn't, the tone is exactly, exactly the same. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't absolutely. change what it actually is. It just changed what it's fucking about. Yeah, it's like jumping it, topics, but it's the same yeah. cult exploitation yeah. vibe. Yeah. And basically, like, if somebody was, the other thing about it is, like, if somebody was just like, here, watch this vampire movie, I would never be like, wait a minute, the first 10 minutes there's no vampires, it's not even about vampire. Like, I would just be waiting until the part when that comes. But basically, because that movie has this, like, sort of, um, positioning in our minds as a, the one that switches. It's I don't, like, yeah, yeah, I don't think it switches just, that much. No, it's a, it's just, it doesn't at all. It's it so jukes silly. to the side like merrily. Yeah. And I mean, really, that to me, that whole movie is literally worth just the line where Clooney is like, they were vampires, like at the end. Cause that's the only <laughs> thing that's funny. It's like trying to explain this guy, like, no, they were all fucking vampires. Like, that's just retarded. And then the last shot is kind of cool when it pulls back and you see the like the cliff and all that. Yeah, that like, was a good shot. Yeah, but everything else. Because that was one of those like flat shots that they yeah, pretend those is are like. Great. Yeah, because it was like, if we do a flat shot, <laughs> nobody knows what we're talking about. What we're trying to say is like, in the early days before they had effects, when they wanted to fucking make like a fucking you look like you're standing in the desert but you're not they would just like film you standing and then they would mat in a desert right but they couldn't move the camera because they had to just like keep it a still picture of a desert for you to like stand on nowadays if you watch like edge of tomorrow and stuff they just like whip the camera around all over the place yeah you're just in a green yeah you're just in a place um but like that last shot of uh of of uh from russell dawn they do one of the flat things but they did that trick where it's like if we make a fake zoom out People right. will be tricked into thinking that it's like totally real. So they just make a flat shot and then they fake zoom. And for all you like movie heads, it's the same thing as like the last shot of 400 blows when they like zoom into his head. Yeah. It's that same yeah, uh, it's fake zoom, optical zoom rather than a, uh, a real zoom. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a great little shot. No, it's great. Like that that's a fun little movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's it for the episode. So any parting words for our listeners before we go, any, any words of advice or words of love or, Anything you want to share with them before we zip out of here? Not really. Uh, thanks for listening. Anything you want to plug? That, uh, no, sh- it's fine. It's I mean, fine. Hack the Knife is coming out, so I got a movie. Yeah, well, I guess Hack But yeah, we'll, I mean, I'm sure you'll, you can. Is there a Facebook page for Hack Yeah, it's all there. It's yeah, you'll find it. Just yeah. type in Hectic Knife. Yeah. And uh, my words are uh, fucking join Smug Film Club. Get free bonus episodes. Get free awesome stuff. We're giving away stuff every month. We're, we're doing really cool shit. It doesn't cost you anything. You just just give us our, your first name, last name, and email address. And the only time we'll be in your inbox is when we have a free smug film gift for you. It might be a podcast episode. It might be a commentary track. It might be something else. We, I mean, we have surprises. We're not going to tell you everything we're going to give you. But that's the only time we're going to be in there. We're not going to tell you, oh, an episode went up. We're not going to say, oh, an article went up. We're just going to give you something free and awesome. So go do that. Thank you for listening. Wait, I have one more thing. All right. Greg's All right got this is something. actually real. I just thought of this while Cody was talking. It is true that um, Cody and I co-founded Smug, but Cody has always been 
like the sort of you know he does the site and um is he's sort of like the editor-in-chief and like the master of ceremonies of the whole like orchestration <laughs> of it right and as if anybody's actually listening to this and if, if it's like uh you know if we have if we have 10 people out there listen to it that's fucking awesome to me and um i just want to say that i have slacked off and not written anything for like a year and um there's a lot of different reasons but i do know that even if they are just like friends of mine that like what i write and want to see it that there are some somebody out there would like to read something again from me and um i'm sorry that i have not written something and from my heart i really want to and i'm gonna try to and i am sorry that i'm not doing it more and i would like to keep uh contributing to this like i think it's cool and yeah do all that um subscribing stuff that cody said (laughs) uh but yeah no really thank you for uh, reading and listening and uh yeah thank you as well all right see ya bye-bye